0: Hey everyone, um, so I'm Simon Simbo, and I'm going to read the Bible for us today. Uh, so the chapter is, we've looking at Genesis, chapter 17, verse 1 to 11. I've done a Bible with you, but on their handout, is nice and clean, so just follow along there. So that's Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and me and your offsprings after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournities, all the land of your for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, "As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring are you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. After you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins." And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. True story.
1: Friends of mine know of others who were walking around a corridor at a university, not out, but another one. It was a crowded at all. But their eyes met and they felt instantly immediately in love. But may I suggest to you it doesn't normally work that way. Usually someone makes the first move. But it's not just romantic relationships. It's any other kind of relationship, isn't it? Relationship with your neighbours, relationship with your classmates, right? even relationship with adultfish. Someone has to make
0: the first move, because you believe you're if you have one of those.
1: But someone's got to make the first move, yeah? Now, if you were here last week with us, we were starting this new series in this first episode of the Bible, known as the book of Genesis. And in that account, we note that God made the first move with a man named Abram. He made the first move. And in that first move, he made precious promises to him of a land. Of, of spring and of blessings, a great foundational promises. And in these promises, he made what was basically a covenant with Abram. Remember at the end of last week, we came upon chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, we he heard that Abram had actually got these animals, he cut the animals in half, he fell asleep, and God to seal the promises He have made, walk through the covenant, as it were, alone, to seal this covenant, to say that this promise that I have made is now sealed through this process, this elaborate ceremony. But what is a covenant? I want to give you thirty seconds to speak with the person next to you. <laughs> if you haven't met them before, a chance to say hello. Just say hi. My name is Subtraction. But what is a covenant? (laughs) You've got thirty seconds or so. You have no idea. That's okay. Your answer is what is a covenant, and if you were here yesterday, you are not allowed to speak. The rest of us are allowed to speak. What is a covenant? Anybody? Can you share? It's a pact. It's pact. as opposed to P-A-C-K pact. Yeah. A pact. What do we mean by a pact? Covenant. Oh that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yesterday someone said, oh, it was in Harry Potter with the Marauders map and so on. I thought, oh, yeah, right. Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so a covenant, a pact. Anybody want to flesh out pact at all in any way? Shape, An unbreakable agreement. An unbreakable agreement. Yeah, that's right. That's helpful, isn't it? unbreakable agreement. Okay, well that's the two a little bit more. Uh, this is a discovery I made fairly recently. Uh, but a covenant creating and maintaining a formal relationship. And here's the key bit that was new for me. A formal relationship that does not occur naturally. It doesn't occur naturally. So it's creating and maintaining a formal relationship that doesn't occur naturally. I'll give you an example. Uh, my children have a natural relationship with me because they are my biological children. Right? I'm their natural father. And as such, I don't need to make a covenant with them. They have to put up with me as their natural father. Now, some of you might be thinking, if you're a lawyer, well, there is a formal certificate, isn't there, Richard? So someone might
0: say that. Well, there's a formal certificate, isn't there, Richard?
1: Uh, and that formal certificate, of course, is the birth certificate. But that person of it actually expresses the natural relationship. It doesn't create that natural relationship. But if I were to adopt a child, now that's different, isn't it? I actually have to create that relationship, formalise that relationship, and I'll take it, maintain that relationship. But I have to create it somehow, sign on the dotted line somewhere. See, that's a covenant. Does that make sense? Now, Abram is someone that God entered into covenant relationship with because that was quite unnatural, given who Abram was, who discovered last week, and given who God is. But more of that as time goes on in this book. So today, we're going to look at how God is going to maintain and regulate the covenant that he entered into
0: with Abram. And we
1: pick it up here. If you've got your sheets, have a look there at the beginning, the first sentence there. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. (coughs) Now please note, Abram is 99 years old here, and this puts God's mind-version promises into perspective. Abram and Sarah are well beyond the age of childbearing. Now, she's 89. Yet God repeats his promises to as God Almighty. Uh, the original says El Shaddai. Some of us who are older than 20 will know this song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Well, if you know it from the younger generation, it's, young, it's about old parents or right? But El Shaddai, you know that El Shaddai, El Shaddai. That's God Almighty. He's saying, As God Almighty, I promise you, you yeah, have lots of children, even though you're 99 years old, etc. And that's a big promise to us. He repeats his promises, God Almighty. God can do anything including give them a multitude of descendants from a natural child, so much so that he wants to change Abram's name. Did you see that in verse four? Verse four number four, behold, my covenant is with you, Abram, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of men. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. The word Abram, the name Abram means exalted father, but Abraham means father of many, father of many. And amongst the multitude who will come from Abraham, our nations and kings. Royalty will come from Abraham. And if you look at verse 15, which is not printed for you, but in your Bible, if you to verse 15 of this chapter, you will see that Sarai's name becomes Sarah. And Sarah means princess. In other words, royalty will descend from Abraham and Sarah's line as part of this covenant, as part of the expression of this covenant. And these mind bursting promises they also demand a response. If you go back to verse one again, it says, When Abram was ninety nine years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. See, walk before me and be blameless. What are you saying? This is the response that's required if you trust my promises. But think about it, it's just sensible, isn't it? If you Trust that God's way is the best way, then you will live that way. If you don't trust that God's way is the best way for you, then you won't live that way. So he's saying, I'm trusting God's promises. So, be blameless. Walk this way because that's the appropriate response to trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Another song we have with El Shaddai. Part of this obedience is, though, the covenant of circumcision. Verse 9, look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, that's the second paragraph. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin stuff. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision is to express the relationship that God has created. This unnatural relationship that God has created with Abraham and his descendants. Why circumcision? And why there? Why not an earring? It's much nicer. Why not a, a nose ring What about a tattoo? A tattoo on your forehead that says, you know, Abram's child or, like or something like that? Why not a pet dog or something? Why not a sign instead of <coughs> circumcision? Well, the answer I've heard revolves around Abram and Sarai's unfaithfulness in the chapter just before. Abram and Sarai had wanted um, a child and they'd been waiting for 10 years for a child, given God's promise to Abram and Sarai that they would have a child. The more clearly God's promises were spelt out, though, throughout those 10 years, the more clearly Sarai saw herself as a failure because they didn't have children. So look at the initiative that Sarai took. Have a look here. So Genesis 16, this is before our chapter, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. That's not Hagar the horrible. This is Hagar the female Egyptian servant. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Please talk with your neighbor again for 30 seconds to a minute. What was wrong with your actions? Go. Obviously.
0: wrong with their actions? Anybody? Again, you're not
1: supposed to be here. Sorry, if you were here yesterday, you can't answer. But others, what was wrong with your actions? Doubting God. Doubting God, yep. How did they doubt God? Would
0: you like to follow up do doubt I <laughs>
2: doubted that would be able
0: to make that such a cold age. Yeah, it's yeah, a doubt of God to be able to bring mm-hmm. about that
1: in mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other things I did wrong? What did Abram do wrong? Just look at the verse. What did Abram do wrong? Um, Abram listened to the
0: voice
1: of Sarah. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. <laughs> Is that wrong? It's wrong to listen to the voice of your wife. Who thinks it's wrong to listen to the voice of your wife? (laughs) (laughs) No. I was here yesterday, and my wife was the only one who put up her hand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because she believes the (laughs) Bible (laughs) says (laughs) so.
1: The three. Next slide. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. What did Adam do wrong? He listened to the voice of his wife. It's not Richard speaking, it's God speaking. You see, it's all in the Bible there, right? Oh, it's just so not literally correct, right, is it? I mean, gosh, people would sue me for saying that kind of thing, but i sue God. You know, God says it. But, but what does he mean? Now, he doesn't mean that you never hear what they have to say or talk about, etc. In the context, of what it means, so get this right, in the context, of what it means, is following her lead in distrusting God. Following her lead in not obeying God. That's to hearken to, to listen to the voice of someone, is to obey that someone. But if you do that in disobedience, that's the wrong thing in the context. And so when you hear that Abram had listened to the voice of Sarai, this is meant to come up in the background of your head if you're a Bible reader. Ooh, someone's listening to the voice of their wife, but not because it's their wife per se, but in following her lead into sin, that is the key. See, here Abram is about to take Sarai's lead into sin. How? Well, instead of wanting, waiting faithfully on God to fulfill his own promises... They rely on their own strength to fulfil God's promises. So what does God do? He repeats his promise to Abram and gives him the covenant sign of circumcision. But again, why circumcision? Why down there? The best answer I've heard is this. Could it be because for Abram and Sarai, it is the source of his own power and potency? That is, the very place they trusted to fulfill God's promises in their own strength becomes the very place that God chooses to cut back. that makes sense? In other words, could it be that circumcision was a mark of humility? It was a reminder to rely on God to fulfill his promises and not to fulfill his promises in our own strength. But in God's strength. For Abram, it meant trust in God's covenant promises of offspring. You see? And we see this further outlocking of this covenant in Abram's plea. Firstly, there was circumcision.
0: You've got to rely on
1: God's promises, not on your own strength. But secondly, the outworking of the covenant is seen in Abraham's plea in chapter eighteen. God appears to Abraham. It's another story, but it's all kind of related to the outworking of this covenant. God appears to Abraham by three men who turn out to be angelic beings, and God repeats his specific promise of a natural child through Sarah. Have a look here. How Sarah responds, though. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now this time, the promise of a child has a specific time frame. One year, right? One year. But before that one year pans out, this enormous event happens in between, and we're told about it in this uh, interrupting story, so to speak. It kind of delays the impending birth of Isaac, who is to come. But the events of Sodom and Gomorrah take place in between. While we're waiting for the birth of the child, here we learn, then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, (coughs) I will know. Please note here that God will not judge on the basis of hearsay. He goes down to weigh the evidence, the evidence whether it's right or wrong regarding the outcry. And look what it provokes Abraham to do. For the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. See, Abraham is concerned to ensure that the righteous will not be swept away with the wicked. And of course, he knows that his own nephew, Lot, is there in Sodom. So Abraham wrestles, as it were, in prayer to God. And he says, well, if there's 50, you won't do it. What about if there's 50? 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And on each occasion as he wrestles with God in prayer God says yes, for the sake of all these people I will spare the city if there are 10 I will spare the city but as we will learn there are less things and so the city isn't spared but why is that the case? Well it's because of the sin of Solomon. See, the two angels arrive at the city gate of Sodom, and they find Lot, Abram's nephew, there. And Lot urges them to stay at his house, because he knew what might happen to them. Have a look on the screen what happened. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the city gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face together <laughs> and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people note, to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, all the men of Sodom came, young and old, all of them came. And what did they want to do? They wanted to homosexually half rape the divine guest of Lot.
0: Incredible,
1: isn't it? That's where we get the term sodomy. But please note, homosexual rape was not the only sin of Sodom. If you're taking notes, it's Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Ezekiel 16, verse 49, he speaks of the sin of Sodom, including arrogance and being overfed and unconcerned for the needy of life. But this attempted path rape is one expression of his unconcern. So look at how Lot responded. Verse 6 of chapter 19. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, And said, I beg you, my brothers, right? So he's outside his door. The angels are inside the door. He said, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. They're virgins. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Is incredibly hard to study. Some commentators suggest that hospitality at this time was so highly valued that this was actually actually a righteous display of Lot. I remain unconvinced. Others suggest that Lot acted righteously because he was actually attempting to shame the crowd. You know, you want to rape my guests? Well, you might as well rape my daughters in the process, as if to shame them. But again, I just remain unconvinced. That doesn't seem to be the plain meaning of the text. And furthermore, the angels who come to the rescue, causing them to be blind as they attempt to break the door down, and urging Lot to escape with his extended family. Now, Lot did obey at this point. He was righteous in wanting to care for the angels. He was righteous in obeying their instructions now. Lot finds his wife, he finds his two daughters, and they escape. But he couldn't persuade his sons-in-law to escape. And get this, it's only dawned on me in recent times, if every man to the last man was outside the house of Lot, then doesn't that imply the possibility that his sons-in-law were amongst those men? That's unbelievable. Now they were betrothed, so they're not actually married. They're betrothed. They've never got married. They did. Either way, just as Lot was leaving, though, what do we learn? As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city." But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot lingered. Why did Lot linger? Remember, it wasn't Mishui's zeal that drove him to Sodom. It was his greed that drove him to Sodom. And can I ask you a personal question of this? when you are graciously convicted to leave a certain evil place, or leave a certain evil practice, do you linger?
0: Do you
1: linger when you know it's wrong to look at a computer screen and out images or a video of people that you know are doing immoral acts? you just can't seem to resist looking at? Do you linger? Do you linger at the thought of looking at other things? It may not be porn, it may just be greed, material things. Do you linger when you know there is something that is not wise in your life? It could be a lifestyle thing, it could be any manner of things that you know is unpleasing to God and you're seeking to leave it, you're trying to leave it, but but you linger. Well you see that's exactly what's going on with Lot. But for Lot it was the grace of God of being physically removed as it were. Just grabbed by the his neck by these angels grabbed in God, it was God's mercy. And may God be merciful to us. If we know there are evil practices in our lives that we just linger at, may God be merciful to us. May He just grab us by the scruff of the neck. But it just may be that you're in a position to grab someone else by the scruff of the neck, by God's grace. But it's just too too hard to rebuke at someone. Say to that someone, and it's really not the right thing. You really ought to stop doing it. And we just don't like doing that because it might actually ripple the relationship that I have with that person. Oh, may God be gracious to us all because you see, if that doesn't happen, then his justice will come, just as if does Solomon. When Lot and his daughters reached the city of Zohar, God rained down sulfur on and Gomorrah. He saved the righteous, and Lot and his family, but he punished the wicked. But so why are these events recorded here? Have a look in chapter 13. It says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities. Right, This is a few chapters before the valley had moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Right? The first reason that God ran down sulfur on Sodom is because they were wicked. But the second reason is this, in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. That is, the land was promised to Abram, not to Lot, so he's keeping his promises. He's keeping his covenant. They're the reasons. But there's more. See, these events are recorded for us to remember Lot's wife. Here in verse 17 of Genesis 19 we read, And as they, were, uh, they brought them out, the angels brought out Lot and his family. <coughs> One said, Escape for your life. Do not look back. right, Or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, without going through the ins and outs of how that possible, miraculously, etc., why is this recorded here? Well, the best commentary of this section of the Bible is, Another part of the Bible, Luke 17. It says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Just as God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, so too he will destroy this world that you and I live in. And on that day, one should not long for the world, just like Lot's wife longed for Sodom. By looking back, she revealed her heart was in Sodom. What is it that you linger at? What is it that you want to continue to look back at? Remember Lot's wife. What is the evil practice or the evil faith that you're seeking to separate yourself from? That if you don't, wrath will come. Remember Lot's wife. Dear friends, there is a day coming when Jesus will judge the world. That's why we're here. To tell you, remember Lot's wife. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, Jesus says, yet forfeit his life? Remember Lot's wife. God's covenant judgment will come. But not only am I imploring you to remember Lot's wife, but the Lord Jesus. I also want you to remember Lot's children. At the end of Genesis chapter 19, we have this sordid account, incredibly sordid, where there is incest between Lot and (coughs) his two daughters. The two daughters think, we haven't got any children, our mother is dead. So what do they do? They get Lot drunk, and they both go into the tent after each other in order to have sex with him so that he doesn't know he's he's having sex with in order to continue the family line. It's unbelievable. But look what happens. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. But through this sordid account of sin and incest God kept his covenant promises. Because from the Moabites, one of Lot's descendants through incest, from the Moabites came another person whose name was Ruth you remember Ruth? Ruth the Moabites. Ruth the Moabites was the great-grandmother of King David, who in the end led to the line that saw our Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save his people from their sins. You see what's going on here? God's covenant justice came
0: supremely in Jesus.
1: It is this unnatural relationship that God, who is all holy and just and true, and we who are sinful, just like Abram, sinful, just like Lot, sinful because we, like Lot's wife, linger, well, he made an unnatural relationship with us by covenant power, by signing to the blood of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. the anger of God that should have been poured out on you and me just as sulphur was poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah was turned aside from us unto Jesus so that we could come into this unnatural relationship with God and know God is our Father. Through covenant blood. The death And if we trust God's promise to save us through Jesus, like Abraham trusted God's
0: promises,
1: then we too will be saved from the wrath to come. We too will be amongst the multitude of Abraham's spiritual offspring promised by God. And we too will be royalty, kings and queens in the kingdom of God, co heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. Who rose from the dead to be the Lord of heaven and earth? Do you know this Jesus as your Lord? Do you know him as a fellow heir of royalty? But if you
0: don't,
1: please talk to us about it. But if you do, that's no longer you trust God's promises, and obey Him. Shall we, pray? we thank you, dear Father, that you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die and rise again so that through His covenant blood, you enter into relationship with us, making We pray that we might obey you gladly, and live as your children, kings and queens, into eternity for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think someone else is going to be a teacher. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we
0: pray for our upcoming New Year Conference. We
2: thank you that we'll be able to spend the week reading your word and encouraging one another to live for Christ. Lord, we pray that at NYC we will all learn what it means to be truly human according to what Your Word tells us. Please be with those who are organising the media conference. Please guide them and give them your wisdom as they organise the week and please give them the energy they will need for this task. We also pray for Richard as he prepares his talks for NYC. May you be glorified in all the preparations that are underway and in everything that happens at the conference. Lord, we also pray for Griffith University in Queensland. Thank you for the Griffith Christian Students Group they have on campus, and thank you that they are able to meet regularly. Lord, we praise you and thank you that many first years have started being involved in this group. We pray for all the new students who have joined the group that they will continue to put Jesus first, especially as their uni workload becomes heavy out of exams coming up. Lord, we also pray for those who are reading Uncover with people who don't yet know Jesus at Griffith University. Please be working very fully in their hearts during these meetings, and we pray that many people would come to put their faith in you through reading the Bible with their friends. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.